Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to another episode of Why Would You Tell Me That with me, Neil Delamere, and him, Dave Moore. He Hi. is still here, like a <laughs> stalactite built up over thousands of years of oh. calcium carbonate. I can't remember which it <laughs> That's is. Okay, the permanence that you've given me, I appreciate. I thought you were going to say something like he's still here, like an annoying rash that a cream will get rid of in a matter of weeks. But no, you've given me, you know, e- eons of 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 staying power. Like a bacteria, like an antibiotic resistant bacteria, he continues <laughs> to evolve in different ways. But his permanence is his main, his main talent and trait. Like some kind of single celled microbe, he predates the Triassic period. <laughs> I am actually fairly old, to be fair. Uh, you're not. What are you talking about? You're a, a mere slip of a lad. Uh, and you are listening, dear listener, too. Why would you tell me that? This is a show where uh, I think you've beautifully coined the phrase, we tell you amazing stories that you didn't know, but you possibly should. We are proudly part of the ACAST Creator Network. Get in contact with us. I'm at Neil Delamer Comedy on Instagram. The show is at Why Would You Tell Me That? And he's at Dave Today FM. And if you want to... Have your socks blown off by various facts and various pieces of trivia. This is the show for you. We take it in turns. Dave, what do you got for me this week? Yeah, my turn this week. Neil doesn't know anything about this. Uh, Neil, in part two, yes, we're going to be joined by somebody who you may have heard of. You may not have heard of. I don't know. His name is Dr. Kit Chapman. He is okay. a very, very qualified individual. He's written an incredible book. And the main thrust of what he's going to tell us in part two is about the greatest heist in human history. And Neil, I know you love a heist. All of human history. Yeah, the greatest, the biggest, the craziest, the wildest. And also how it relates to motoring. (laughs) We bought like cars and we we bought like Robin stuff. I mean, this is the perfect (laughs) Venn diagram. We like stories about Robin stuff. We don't like Robin stuff. Of course. Remember the qualification. Honestly, and this guy, I've been, I've been, I cannot believe we've gotten him. He is so brilliant. That's a high bar. That is a high bar. Yeah, it is. And and deservedly so. You'll see in part two. But listen, we've got a very special part one for everybody because... I've been sitting on this for a while. Neil and I, speaking of motoring, in 2022, we went on something called the Cannonball Run. 
And that is where you get into some ridiculously overpowered supercar and you drive the length and breadth of the country and it's all to raise money for charity. And Neil and I had a great time doing it, but we decided we shouldn't waste the opportunity while we were there to record a bit of a podcast. So we did a part one and the part one was all about motoring, obviously due to the fact that we were there in, uh, you know, the, the surrounded by millions of euros worth of supercars. But we did it outdoors in Malahide Castle in Dublin with the beautiful gardens. They were actually, we were right beside the butterfly enclosure, Neil, if you remember that. Um, it was very nice, <laughs> very romantic, Neil. Um, but look, it, it was a great part one, but we sat on it for a while because we were waiting for a motoring episode to come along that the part one would sit nicely in. And lo and behold, this is the episode. Now, I know it's about a heist, but the heist, everything about the heist is related to motoring, modern day motoring in particular. So let us go to that. The part one we recorded in Malahide Castle for Cannonball Run. You'll hear the beautiful birds chirping in the background, the wind blowing slightly, and Neil and myself, much younger. We were much younger then. Oh, we were, oh, we were carefree. carefree. Yeah, we were carefree. You were like, oh, look, Neil, a rear, uh, a red admiral. It's not rear admiral, is it? That's somebody who's actually in the Navy. And I, oh, yeah, look at it. And we ran around and we had, we had like butterfly nets. It was, it was a different time, Dave. It was, it was a time we of innocence. It was a time yeah. of naivety. Yeah. But we have points and we have facts and we have interesting contributions and that makes it perfect part one okay so here we go live except it was ages ago in the cannonball run in malhai castle we'll be back after this before we get to dr kid chapman in the first part i figured what we do is we would talk about amazing race stories okay and there are so many and we'll get to an irish one in a minute actually okay. but i want to tell you about a fellow you might have heard of i don't know if you have called alex zanardi heard him no no Okay, so Alex Zanardi raced in the States in the 70s in what's called CART, Championship Auto Racing. So it, it's not go-karts, but it's called CART. But it's a form of, of racing, really fast. And he moved up to F1. Wow. Failed. Just okay. didn't work out for him. Yeah. Wasn't going to happen. And he was like, Do you know what? I'm going to go back and I'm going to go back to CART. He went back to CART and he's racing in Germany. And he wakes up in a hospital in Germany with no legs. So he's been in a horrific accident. And his legs weren't amputated in the hospital. They were sheared off by the accident, okay? okay? And obviously, there's recovery, there's all of this thing. But the most important thing to Alex is, can I race again? And yeah. people are like, dude, like, you've no legs. Like, it's, this is not going to be an, an option for you. So what happens is, Zanardi gets, he's so committed to racing, he can't race Indy cars, which is what the car thing, which is what he's been champion of, he's been so good. So he enters races that he can race as a disabled driver and drive with his hands right so i don't know if you know anybody who's paralyzed yeah, or slightly modified, yeah. yeah they can drive modified cars and they can use their hands and they can drive it very safely and all the rest so he gets into the bmw touring car championship 14 races into his bmw touring car championship career he's on the podium now he's racing against able-bodied drivers he's disabled he has no legs car. in a modified car and, and he's, he's hammering them. he's hammering them right so he wins that. He's in DTM races. He does the 24-hour Daytona race. He does. He, he just, he's a non-stop, full-on, full-blooded racer. And then to keep fit on the side, he starts hand cycling. Again, I don't know if you've ever oh, seen yeah, that. Yeah, but yeah, similar thing. You're sitting in the yeah. Paralympics and you hand cycle. He starts to realize he's actually quite good at hand cycling. Oh, guys, he's brilliant at everything. Yeah, this guy wins. This is no joke. He wins 10 world championships <laughs> and four Olympic medals at hand cycling. Yeah, talk about an overachiever. I bet he's really annoying if you meet him. He's just, <laughs> so in other words, he has iron will, unbelievable aerobic fitness, yeah. brilliant hand-eye Imagine the upper body strength. 
Mother yeah. of God, he must so, be unbelievable. What's his next thing? Yeah, well, that's the thing. I don't know. Now, at this point, Alex and Nardi, like, you, if you wrote that movie, I think execs would be a bit like, really? Is it believable? Is it a little bit much? You could actually write a movie about the next lady I want to tell you about. And she is from Ireland, okay? Yeah. And her name is Rosemary Smith. I know, I know her. Do you know her? Yeah. Okay. She is, honestly, I've interviewed her for the radio show, and she is one of the most interesting people I've ever talked to. So, try and paint this picture. It's the early 60s in Ireland. Yeah. Like, you know, things are pretty conservative. And she works as a model, but also works in a dressmaking shop. And a lady comes in and asks for some very specific outfits to be made. And so, being the inquisitive lady she is, Rosemary Smith says, what do, what do you need these outfits for? And she goes, oh, it's for a rally. And she's like, oh, what's, what's a rally? And she explains it or whatever. Comes yeah. back the next week to pick him up. And she says, what are you doing on Saturday? Right. To Rosemary. And Rosemary's like, well, I'm, I'm nothing. I'm just I'm hanging around Dublin. And she goes, no, you're coming with me. And she takes her to Kilkenny. And she brings her on a rally as a navigator. Right. She's never been in a car before. She, or she, she's driven, but like she's never. Yeah. She's, not a, she's no experience. She takes somebody from a dress shop. Dress shop to be her navigator. To be her navigator. Yeah. Okay. And Rosemary doesn't really understand how to look at maps, and <laughs> so you know, so she's too late with all the turns and whatever. A, I have an image of her just giving, just you know, dress-based <laughs> navigation. It's right over the left epaulette, and that sort of. Ooh, there's a tight hem coming up now. <laughs> Is it a mini or a maxi bend? I don't know. What happened was they ended up in a farm. Not, I don't mean crash, but they ended up yeah. literally in a farm, in a cul-de-sac, looking at some chickens. Right. And that's when the lady said, okay, you're not a navigator. And she was like, you think? So then what happened was she got bitten by the rally bug, even though she was like a failed navigator. So she started to drive. And she drove so much that in 1978, yeah. which was like obviously only about 10 years, 10 or 15 years later, she went to Cork, and on the Carrigaline Strait, yeah. guards closed her from 5am to 7am. Yeah. And on the Carrigaline Strait, she drove a Jaguar yeah. with an F1 engine and achieved the Irish land speed record of 193 miles an hour. <laughs> and she said the road was actually... I don't know how to describe it. She, I can't remember how she describes it, but it's like, Broken? it's not, no, 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 it was perfectly, it was perfectly fine when you drove on it at normal speeds. Yeah. But actually when you drove on it really fast, it was ridged. So it was like, like that, like okay? Like a rumble strip. Almost like a rumble strip. Not quite as violent as that, but almost yeah. like that. And she said her helmet fit her perfectly, okay? And she drove the helmet all the time, rallied all over the place, did land speed records, all this kind of, and this road, because it was bouncing up and down, she did 193 miles an hour, and the the helmet fell down and was sitting on the, the eye, the bit at the top of her eyes was sitting on her nose, and she was just judging and guessing where the straight was. And she did it 193 miles an okay. hour. Okay. <laughs> Can I? <laughs> she drove a car at 193 miles an hour when she couldn't see where she. That's, where not, she even, was that's going. not even impressive. That's not even that, impressive. No, it's not. Because I'll tell you what else she did. <laughs> She was asked to do the London to Sydney marathon. Or, like, it's, it's a rally. Yeah. London to Sydney, okay? Yeah. That's a long journey. Obviously, you've got to travel across water and all the rest. She got to Pakistan. Yeah. And the car she was driving, the, it was an Irish-assembled Ford Escort. But the guy who assembled it put a racing engine in it and not a long-distance touring engine right, in it. Right, okay. So by the time she got there, she was in trouble. And the car was, had two of the cylinders were gone. It was putting, it wasn't doing it right. So she got onto this strip and she drove about 100 yards down the road and the car stopped. She was like, okay, my, my race is over. And then she remembered something her dad told her when she was a kid. And she pulled down her helmet so she couldn't <laughs> see. And off she and went. Off she he said to her, if a car won't go forwards, yeah. it'll go backwards. Oh. So she reversed the 100 yards back yeah. over the line. She spun the car around. And this is not a joke. She drove 53 miles over the Khyber Pass in reverse. 
<laughs> the guy at the start of the stage said, there's a mechanic at the end of the stage, but it's 53 miles over a mountain pass. And she's like, I'll just do it backwards. Can you imagine the whining <laughs> as it reverberates around the Khyber Pass? 53 miles. And she did it, landed, the guy fixed the engine, she went off and completed it. That is amazing. Yeah. She, now, she's had a massive neck on one side. <laughs> For 52 since since that yeah that's since 1978 i didn't know that, that i'd actually do that i i know how to drive a car and be and i have an interesting car but beyond that i never would have known that you stick it into reverse stick here's my little tip for you if Go you ever on. get stuck on a beach and block all the traffic on oh a beach, yeah, yeah for yeah. example you know what you're meant to do i no. never knew this you take out your car mats and you put them under your tires for traction that's what you're meant to do that's a brilliant idea i have an i have one issue with cars it's related to cars the skid light in the car you know when you're skidding and ever skid in the car and oh, the light little light comes on, on yeah. yeah. I think that's ridiculous. Why? Because you know you're skidding. <laughs> so the light comes on. Like no one has ever driven down the road, feel the wheels lock up, hear the tires screech, and you're going sideways down the road and thought, I wonder what that is now. <laughs> and then the car goes bing and you go, Oh no, I'm skidding. I thought the car was having some sort of stroke or something, but it turns out I'm skidding. Like it tells you something that you know <laughs> Maybe I'm just gonna throw it out there, maybe that's that light isn't the skidding light, yeah. which I don't think is a technical term. Maybe it's telling you that it's got ABS on, it's trying to re reconfigure what it needs to do to break no, it. But you, I, I mean, a skidding an, light? It had it on, the, oh, on, I had a 1998 Toyota Corolla, it was my first car, and it had it on that. <laughs> it just tells you something that you already know. It's like if you were driving down the road and you flipped your car, <laughs> and you were going down like 50 yards down the road on your roof, and then you came to a stop, and the light came on and went, your car's upset. <laughs> like, you, you wouldn't be going, oh, thanks civilian dashboard. I was wondering why my change flew out of my pockets and hit me in the face. Actually, Formula One cars yeah. could race upside down in a tunnel. They could drive upside down. They create so much downforce. Yeah. Because all you need to do is create more downforce than the weight of your car. And you can drive against gravity because you're you're formula gecko yeah <laughs> it could happen so what they did was they they attached a, a to scale model small enough but it's a scale model of a car in a wind tunnel and they only gave it vertical so the okay so the wheels were still the tires were on the roof but the yeah. car had vertical movement yeah. and they they shot it in a wind tunnel and they just turned the wind on it was like 20 miles an hour 100 miles an hour when it hit 100 miles an hour the car just goes and sucks onto oh the top of the tunnel God. so you could theoretically with enough downforce I kind of just assume that that all the Australian Grand Prix are <laughs> just us. Do you know the way you always say, "Oh, everything we talk about, I've done a documentary." Yes. About. Have you ever been in a wind tunnel? No. I've been in a wind tunnel. And so we did something on Beaufort because Beaufort was Irish. That's right. right? So the Beaufort scale and wind tunnel, and they put me in a wind tunnel. And can I tell you, at hurricane speeds, everything flaps. Everything. Really? Yeah, like you have to tie a wheelie to your leg. Like, <laughs> Prince Charles would have been killed in a wind tunnel. Those those ears would have just beaten him to death by his own lugs. Uh, but it, that's remarkable. No, it is remarkable. And let me tell you a couple of other things, right? Um, I have another complaint about cars I'll give you at the okay, end. Okay, give me at the end. Have you heard of top fuel dragsters? Are they the kind of long, yes. elongated kind of They're like really 25 feet long, yeah. really skinny, almost bike tires yeah, at yeah. the front, and huge fat tires at the back, okay? Like, it's a quarter mile usually, is it? I don't even think, no, these mile. guys are actually reduced because everything about them is too extreme. Right. This is one of those things that shouldn't be allowed yeah, yeah. under any circumstances, okay? So, like, we all know that, you know, not to 60, not to 100 kilometers an hour times are very impressive. Like out yeah. here today at the Cannonball, there's three gonna be seconds. cars out there who can do things in yeah. three seconds, exactly. Yeah. I've had electric cars that because they have so much battery power and so much torque, they can do not to 100 kilometers in under four seconds and I'm driving them to work. Like, yeah. they're just, they're insane things, right? 
This thing can do not to 100 miles an hour yeah. in 0 0.8 seconds. Not to 100 miles an hour. So that's 180 kilometers an hour, or whatever it is. In 160 kilometers, 160 kilometers an hour. In less than a second. How does your brain even I don't know. at that level it does, a, it does a thousand foot run in three seconds. <laughs> a thousand foot drag race is over in three seconds. I assume like that, that's, you know, there's flames behind the car sort of oh, thing. Oh, no, this thing, the fuel reacts, is combustible upon exposure to oxygen. Okay, so it's lit you're literally sitting on an explosion with tires. That's how that's how fast they go. That's right? a level of like that's a, that's a car so fast that Vin Diesel looks at it and goes, <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I like everything else, but I'm not going to have a go ridiculous. with this. Each engine yeah. needs to be rebuilt every single run. Every single run, they because like sometimes you know you see a Formula One. I'm sure they go in, they take out the spark plugs, yeah. they give it yeah, an oil yeah, change, yeah. whatever it is. No, the whole engine out it comes rebuild everything after each run okay what happens to the engine i wonder it needs to be disassembled examined <laughs> reworked burnt in a shower yeah, literally. and the ground needs to be consecrated tires eight runs new tires just eight eight runs yeah done new tires um and they have to do them the, you know the burnout thing where you burn rubber and whatever? Yeah, yeah they have to do that before each race so they have to get the tires up to temperature and also get rubber on the track for yeah. more traction like it's ridiculous uh, so you know when you, you're in, a, you're in a, you've done the centrifuge yes, thing, okay? Yeah. When you're in a space shuttle, yeah, 3G is yeah. what it is. Three yeah. times the force of gravity, right? Yeah. This 5G. I I have done five. You've point, done five. Five point three. Yeah. And your face melts basically well, at five point three. Imagine that in zero point eight seconds to get to hundred miles an hour. Some people must pass out with that. Oh, they have to. But they but these lads like the guys who are driving them are absolutely mental. You know you're talking about the the putting the tires on yeah. the track. Do you know I, I don't know that much about Formula One, but I remember watching it one day with somebody. And you know when the safety car comes out mm. and what they do is they start warming up the tires and veering all Left, over the road. Right, yeah. Do you think anybody's ever been caught hammered? <laughs> and the guards go, you're drunk, and you go, I, no, I am merely warming the tires up of my... I was increased traction. That's oh, Terry. <laughs> <laughs> I go for a run of this. <laughs> um, what do you think the engine power is? I mean, like, out here today, okay. there are cars out there with close to five, six hundred horsepower. Say, okay, it's going to be ridiculous. A uh, thousand horsepower. Mm. Eleven. Thousand horsepower. <laughs> Eleven thousand like, horsepower. That's like a Dalraki horde. Yeah, it's like that's... at full throttle. It's eleven thousand horsepower. Um, they put seven to ten out in kind of in the warm up. Seven to ten thousand horsepower. So who drives those cars? <laughs> absolute maniacs. Actually, who goes to see them? Because they are so loud. Yeah. That they're louder than a fully loaded seven four seven taken off. So that when you go. As a spectator, you are contractually obliged to wear ear protection. Oh, it I causes really want, physical pain. I really want to see this. I know you do. That, that's kind of rearranging your organs fast, though, isn't it? It wouldn't be a smart idea. I'd love to go and see that. Yeah, well, look, as... I mean, they're remarkable things. What cars can do are remarkable. Which always surprised me. This is my other complaint okay. about cars, right? You know when you learn how to drive, you get into a car and they go, first is there, and then second is below first, and yeah. then third is beside first and above fourth, hmm. right? And then they go reverse, is you push it over beyond first and up, oh, yeah. and you go grand, and you're nervous. And then you get into the next car, and you go, where's reverse? And they go, Ver hmm. reverse in this one, is you pull it over <laughs> to you, and it's down beside fourth. Below fifth, and yeah. you, Or below fifth. <laughs> and you go, hold on, the EU can figure out the trading rules between 27, 28 countries. <laughs> 
and we haven't decided what reverse is in a manual car. <laughs> I think that's bizarre. It is bizarre. You're absolutely right. And then right. another one go, okay, so do I, okay, it's over beside first. It is over beside first. So do I push it out? No, no, no. There's a little knob that you pull up towards you. <laughs> Look. You know, I'm a BMW ambassador. I drive yeah. BMWs left, right and centre. Yeah. They're all the same. They're all automatics these days, right? Yeah. And you just like, you push it forward for reverse, you pull it down for drive. Yeah. And that's all the movement there is. The car we're driving today is an M4. You would think it'd be the same. No. no. Drive is to the right, reverse is to the left and up. So it has, even in the same brand of car nowadays. It's just so annoying. Yeah, there's a, it's unnecessary. It really is unnecessary. Although I'm going to be using carbon floppy paddles all the way down oh, to sure. Killarney. Yeah. yeah. You know it. Finally, I'm here on the Cannonball Run. We're here, thanks to Circle K, and they're miles plus fuel, right? The best fuel you can get. Absolutely ridiculous. How much fuel do you think a top... What's the, what's the fuel efficiency of a top fuel dragster that does 11,000 okay. uh, horsepower? Okay, I'd say uh, miles per gallon. I'd say, like, uh, two miles per gallon. <laughs> 22 gallons per mile. <laughs> 22 <laughs> gallons per you'd mile. You'd be better at racing the actual fuel trucks. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's stuck in. You know those planes that are fueled in mid-air? If you just pull the fuel truck along with you as you're going. Yeah. Um, look, they're, they're just amazing things. And out here, in fairness, there are no top fuel dragsters, thank you, thankfully, because they wouldn't make it down you'd to Clarny. You? You'd love a go. Would you have the balls to do it? No, not a top fuel. No. Even a drag, even like a, a souped-up dragster. Like, or have you seen the Teslas racing against like yeah. dragsters? And like yeah. they're the ludicrous mode and it does like they outrun them like I don't think I'd have the neck to do that I mean literally you can see what a car can do to you if you have a crash in it no a friend of mine uh, now his uh, his dad crashed years ago his dad is absolutely fine so we can tell this story right but he said that donkeys years ago whatever he did he hit something uh, or somebody hit him and the rear view mirror flew off and hit him in the head oh no right? and he said there's one thing worse than being hit by a part of your own car and that's seeing your own shocked expression <laughs> As the, the rear view mirror flies towards your face. <laughs> and I remember saying to him, why didn't you get out of the way? And he goes, I thought I had more time because on the mirror it said, objects may appear closer than they are in the mirror. And he, it was clearly a line, Dad. What a great line. It's brilliant. Well, there you go. That was the part one we did on the Cannibal Run. And Neil, obviously, we're petrol heads. We were surrounded by petrol-consuming supercars. I told you about 22 gallons per mile top loader dragsters. And uh, you drive a, you drive an electric car. I do have an electric car, yeah. yeah. And um, if it was stuck in reverse, I would want no one, no one but Rosebury to, yeah. to drive it for 50-odd miles. What a total legend she oh, is. One of the most legendary humans alive. Yeah, that that is absolutely. I, I I would just. I think I just give up. Would you? you? Oh, I, I, there's no way I would have looked over my shoulder for fifty something miles in the Khyber Pass up up a mountain pass, Neil. I barely. Yeah. I'm, I use the auto park feature in my car, so that when it's when it sees a parking space, I just let the steering wheel go and it parks it in there, like so. Yeah, but how how advanced is your car? Does the tiny little man get out with a rolled up copy of a, of the sun and a high vis jacket and wave you out? Wave and, and or whistle. Wa wave your car into a. Yeah. Come yeah, around, come yeah. around, come around. <laughs> lock hard, lock hard, <laughs> lock hard. <laughs> well, look, all of this stuff about motoring is going to tie into the incredible part two that we have for you with Dr. Kit Chapman, talking about the greatest heist in human history, talking about how it relates to motoring. And also, this is crazy, because, I mean, we just mentioned your electric car, how Formula One yeah. is saving the planet. I can't even begin to guess what the greatest heist is if it involves motoring. I like the most expensive car ever, but nope. surely nope. more diamonds have been stolen than that. And no, nope. you're, 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 you're barking up the wrong tree there. Ooh, maybe that's a clue. Find out in a few minutes with Dr. Kit Chapman. An insurance 
an insurance <laughs> arson attack on the Ford factory? Heist, I, Neil, heist. I don't know. Tell me. Okay, part two. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Okay, welcome back to part two of Why Would You Tell Me That? And we're joined now by Dr. Kit Chapman, journalist, science historian, and author of, amongst many other books, Racing Green, How Motorsport Science Can Save the World. Kit, how are you? I'm doing all right. How are you guys? Great. We know you travel a fair bit. Uh, Where do we have you today? Where do we find you? I am in the exotic climbs of Cornwall. A beautiful spot. I've just come back from Azerbaijan, and most recently I was stuck in in the Sinai in Israel stuck in the Sinai. Yeah, I turned up uh, to my to my scheduled flight uh, to try and get out of there and it turned out the plane didn't exist. So <laughs> somehow I had to go back to Tel Aviv and then I couldn't get a flight to the UK so I had to go via Rome and it took me 36 hours to get home. Oh, that's not that's not good. That that is one step away from Michael O'Leary actually saying that it's somewhere is you know Sinai South for it not to actually exist in the first place is amazing. We should also say that Kate is topless and he's currently scything, as is the law when someone is doing a podcast from Cornwall. Absolutely, I've got this beautiful redhead who's sort of staring at me longingly. <laughs> Demelza. I mean, they just follow you around. They just appear out of the woodwork and hunt you down. We, we should definitely go, Neil. <laughs> I'm from Athlete. That happens just there anyway. In part one of this episode, Kit, I, I tease Neil and I 
told him that I would tell him about, or you rather you would, tell him about the most successful heist of all time. And we will get to that. But let's just say it involved rubber and it's mentioned in your book. But what I'd love to do now is go back to just rubber, the story of rubber in general, because I think this is fascinating. And you can talk us through it in as, as simple a way as you can, but we're going back to Brazil to begin, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, just call me your rubber mistress. I will be all of your rubber delights. <laughs> can we call you Gimp? <laughs> so in terms of rubber, there there are over a thousand different species of rubber latex in the world, uh, different plants to produce it. And rubber latex is a substance basically to deter insects from bothering plants. And rubber, as we think of it, the, the Brazilian rubber, uh, which is haver, the rubber tree, it grows in Brazil along the Amazon, predominantly. Uh, and the big boom area is Manaus. And if you've ever been to Manaus, you can't actually fl um, drive into Manaus. It's surrounded by the Amazon jungle. So the only way you can get there is you can fly in or, or you can do what I do, which is sail down the Amazon River. Um, wow. Which is, I mean, the Amazon River is bizarre because you go out on deck one day and you look sort of left and right, port and starboard, and you can only see water and you know you're 200 miles inland. I mean, the Amazon is so wide, you cannot see its banks. Yeah, I've heard people say that, before, that, that the, the sense of, of the size of the Amazon is lost on all of us who don't visit it. it, it it's genuinely one of those most astonishing. And you've got to remember, it's, it's a highway as well. So you've got all these boats sort of moving up and down constantly because that's just the only way to get around. Um, the thing that astonished me with the, the Amazon is because it's a very muddy river, there's all kinds of trees and, and life sort of flowing into it. When it meets another river, such as the Rio Negro, which is much clearer water, but it's got um, a dead bacteria at the bottom of it. You know that black gunk you get at yes. when, a, when a lake dies? So you've got a black river flowing into a brown river. And they don't immediately mix. They flow alongside each other. So you can find yourself in a boat with one side the river is brown and one side the river is black. That's amazing. It's like an old Renault 19. Do you remember they used to have the, <laughs> the blue and the grey? That's amazing. And, and that's, where rubber, that's where rubber starts, is it? Or that's the centre of rubber, is it? So, 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 so the, the heavier rubber tree is basically indigenous to Brazil. It's indigenous to this area. And the tribal sort of different tribes that were in, Amazon, in Amazonas they were using this for thousands of years for footballs, basically. I mean, you know, to entertain themselves. It was only in the 19th century, around the uh, the 1830s, when people tried to commercialize it. And when they did it, it was an absolute disaster because they thought, okay, we've got this wonderful latex. And as everyone knows, rubber is very stretchy, very bouncy. There's all kinds of really useful things you can do with rubber. The problem is it melts once you get over about 30 degrees. So New York, there was a company called the Roxbury Rubber Company. They, they sold loads and loads of different items as rubber. And then there was a heat wave and their entire stock melted. <laughs> not great. <laughs> it's not great. So the big problem was to try and, and solve this and overcome this. Uh, and the guy who did it was a guy called Charles Goodyear. Now, immediately my brain would go to Goodyear tires, but this is not the same Goodyear. No, this is, this is definitely not. So Charles Goodyear is... For my money, one of the biggest losers in history. <laughs> okay. um, everything he did just turned to turned to shit. Um, to the point that the Goodyear Tire Company literally stole his name, and they have nothing to do with his family whatsoever. Um, so Charles Goodyear, he was trying to solve this problem of how to fix rubber, how to actually make it last. 
And he bankrupted himself doing it. He was living in a tenement block in New York um, with his family in one room and his robber in the other. Um, it was a complete flop. He had to move out to basically rural Massachusetts to try and keep his family alive. And the farmers were feeding his family because he couldn't afford to. He was concentrating on rubber and he thought this could be my breakthrough. And one day he tried a sulfur treatment on the rubber. And he got so worked up about people mocking him. and They were mocking him in the village store. They started waving the rubber above his head. And the rubber flew out of his hands and landed on the stove. And it cooked. And to his amazement, it didn't dissipate. It didn't break down. It actually hardened. And it's, it's the rubber that we use today. Wow. And he discovered this process called vulcanization. That's incredible. Like, what a series of, uh, of mishaps followed by, you know, something so fortunate for this to burn and then vulcanize. I feel sorry for him, though. If he's called Goodyear and he constantly has shit years, he's being mocked by his own name constantly. Can I ask the simple question of how do you get the rubber out of the tree? What does that process oh, look like? The rubber out of the tree is really, really straightforward. You cut the tree. Um, you still do. You, what you do is they've actually got special knives in in Brazil, but you slash the tree and you basically leave a cut mark, and the white sap uh, begins to pour down. And you basically put little cups in there. You do it overnight because the rubber's starting to flow, and, and you collect the sap, and then you've got this white goo basically. Um, and you hire loads and loads of workers to do it, uh, or in Brazil's case. You use loads and loads of slaves. Yeah, this was a, d a different kind of approach that, that was happening in Brazil in the late 1800s, wasn't it? it? Yeah, absolutely. Late 1800s to sort of late 1900s. Brazil only ends slavery in 1888. Wow. So it's going throughout the entire 19th century. And they are using slaves. They're using um, African slaves, 4 million um, slaves shipped over to Brazil. They're using indigenous tribes. They are enslaving anyone. And in fact... During the Second World War, the Brazilian government more or less kind of reintroduced that. They would actually they needed rubber so badly to produce tires for the Allies because the Brazil was one of the Allied nations. They were actually essentially kidnapping people off the streets in the favelas and shipping oh them out into the Amazon. And this is dangerous work because while there aren't any mosquitoes down the Rio Negro, which is near Manaus, there are loads of jaguars. And jaguars will happily eat workers in the middle of the night. You do need to work at night as well, as you were saying, because that's when, when you slice the tree, that's yep. when the rubber will come out. So you're not working at night because, oh, well, it's very hot and humid during the day. Work at I mean, night that's, is that's better. part of it. But yeah, the, the majority of it is because you want this, this flow of rubber. You need to, this sap. And so they're working on hundreds of trees. And the way that the plantations in Brazil work is the trees weren't all next to each other in neat rows. You'd actually have your own patch and you'd go around these. So you'd gather the rubber and then essentially you just wrap it up into a ball and you get these strange cocoon-like balls uh, if you go to one of the old rubber plantations to have a look. And that's then weighed and you go to the tally guy and depending on how much rubber you've collected, you get your wage, which is probably immediately going to be taken away for um, your sustenance and your, your board. And, and they would be expected to, to harvest quite a lot of rubber. I remember reading that in your book that it was 60 kilos a week. Yeah. Uh, and, and bear in mind, rubber is not particularly heavy yeah. uh, as a substance. So 60 kilos a week. These guys are, were working essentially all night and then they were just exhausted during the day. Neil, just for, for reference, 60 kilos is, is like one of my legs. You know what I mean? One of your legs. Well, yeah. I was thinking kind of five or six sex dolls. That's what I was thinking there. <laughs> of course. Yeah, it, it, it's one Cornish redhead. 
what you what you, what you filled with i feel like I, while i'm absolutely fascinated by this conversation i feel like i've waited long enough dave and you haven't told me what's been stolen yet and if it's a jaguar's head i'm going to be very excited if it's <laughs> something to do with the brazilian football team and their nascent uh, development or something no so- no 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 it's not it's actually it is an amazing story so the most successful heist of all time is how I've built this kit. And I don't know whether that's a little bit too much, but let's talk about the bio pirate Henry Wickham. Tell Neil. <laughs> oh, I'm already on board. Bio pirate. Yeah, so Henry Wickham was was the, the greatest thief in history. He was branded a bio pirate by the Brazilian government. Um, so as you might have guessed, Brazil was making a lot of money from the rubber trade. It was the center of the world. Manaus was the second richest town in the world at the time. They built amazing things. There's an opera house in the middle of the Amazon jungle. Wow. Uh, it looks like, do you remember those little French fancies, those little pink suites? Yeah, yeah. Exactly like one of those. And Henry Wickham decided that the British wanted in on this because obviously the British Empire at the time was, was ruling just about everything. So how can he make some money? And in uh, 1876, he went down to Santarém which isn't quite as far down as Manaus. It's about halfway between Manaus and the coast. And he just went around picking up seeds, claiming they were academic specimens. Mm. So he gathers 70,000 seeds of rubber trees. <laughs> now, Neil, you see, we're not talking about like, you know, most academic specimens will fit in the, in the pocket of my satchel. No, yeah. 70,000 seeds. We're talking boxes of seeds. And he ships these over to Kew Gardens and says, can you grow these? So he's trying to steal the entire rubber industry. Now, Q manages to get 2,700 of them to grow. They bring them over to the British plantations, which are in Southeast Asia. So you've got the right climate. You need a tropical climate for the rubber tree. And we use these cloned trees to grow the entire rubber industry. So today, Brazil is not a rubber producing country because it's been completely bankrupted by Indonesia, Thailand is now the biggest, um, and it's solely because of the British. And Henry Wickham has stolen essentially a billion-dollar industry and just moved it to the Oh, my God. <laughs> he stole the entire industry and shipped it in boxes to Indonesia and Thailand and Sri Lanka via London. Oh, that's unbelievable. That's that's can you imagine like if you woke up one day and like Japan was just harvesting turf the way Board the Mona does in Ireland. <laughs> and she goes, Oh no, we've just taken your industry and we do it much better than you do. Uh, that's unbelievable. I mean, there's a couple of things that kind of jump out at me. The first is he is shipping seventy thousand seeds. There's clearly no stop search siege, you know, you know, those TV uh, airport <laughs> programs where you see Australians just taking your shoes off and scraping them. Have you got anything to declare? Any food items? In between no, the threads, nothing at yeah. all. No, no, no. I'm slightly disappointed by Kew Gardens only growing 2,000 of the 70,000 seeds because I know lads uh, with greenhouses where I live. And would have, let's just say that there's no frost on the roof, and those lads would have gotten sixty nine out of seventy thousand. Well, I suppose the other thing I would say as well is that while the Amazon was the natural place for the heavy tree and for the rubber, obviously when they went to Sri Lanka, Malaysia, and Indonesia, and Thailand, they didn't have to have these natural groves. They were able to systematically build plantations, weren't they? Yeah. So I mean, this is one of the things that's really affected the. Um, the the bio um, the biosphere if you like the, the global economy and also um, climate change because we're just hacking out space in the jungle 
so that we can build rubber plantations. And rather than build rubber plantations carefully uh, as, the, as the Brazilians did, because they've got things like ants, that, and then they've got blights over there as well, um, they're just carving out sections of their tropical jungle, and they are just building row upon row upon row of trees. And because there's only 2,700 of these seeds, they're all clones. All the trees next to each other are clones. So um, what, you... what are the negative like connotations of that, then? The negative connotation is that if one tree gets sick, they all get sick. Yeah. And so we've had uh, regular blights, and we actually had a blight just before the pandemic in 2019. We had two blights that wiped out an estimated 10% of the entire world's rubber supply just before we needed rubber gloves for the pandemic. Oh, God, yeah, of course, yeah. So if if um, Brazil stops making rubber and loses the industry, because if you ask me before we had this conversation, where does rubber come from? I would have said Malaysia, but that's what I would have said in my well, head. Right now, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So so does Britain then and the British Empire control seventy percent, eighty percent, ninety percent of all the rubber in the world then, and, and tires and essentially yes. I mean, Brazil wow. tries to fight back. Yeah, um, which is is an inter- it brings in another interesting character, which is Henry Ford. Oh, we've covered oh, Henry we Ford love him. podcast before, so let's hear some yep. more Henry Ford stories. This one is incredible, Neil. You'll love this. So Henry Ford decides that he wants tires for the Ford Motor Company. Okay. Why bother going to Asia and paying the high rates the British are charging? Why not just go to Brazil? And so he arranges a Ford-run town to be built just south of Santarém called Fordlandia. <laughs> Neil, I told you this was going to be crazy. <laughs> It's it's a Ford-run town. It's a company it is, town. You know, the company town is owned by Ford. The managers are all Ford. Um, the, the workers are Brazilian. And because it's Henry Ford and because he's a massive dickhead... Um, <laughs> yes, he, he is. He doesn't follow up any of their advice about where to plant trees. So all of the trees get blights and all of the trees get devoured by ants. They can't use sort of heavy uh, horticultural sort of, you know, bulldozers or whatever to, to deal with... Um, don't need bulldozers for, for rubber, but, you know, mechanical because he's built them on hills. And most important of all, he pisses off the entire workforce because he insists on treating them as Americans. And so he tells them, you can't have any sex, you can't have any drink, you can't play soccer. Neil, you tell Brazilians you can't play football. Like, like literally, that is the biggest insult you can give to a Brazilian. So the worst thing, as far as the Brazilians were concerned, is that you weren't allowed to eat Brazilian food. You had to eat American food. And so there is actually a rebellion in Fordlandia called the uh, the Breaking Pans, um, where they just basically say, we're not going to eat hamburgers anymore. And they chase the Ford <laughs> managers into the jungle and the Brazilian army have to be called in. <laughs> this is unbelievable. It's so wild. If I've learned one thing about company towns, when one company controls everything in one town, from watching episodes of the A-Team, this is where I've learned this. The A-Team constantly goes in and causes havoc because people don't run those things well, Kit. They don't run them well. I'm just got got this vision now of like Hannibal and Murdoch and and Face of Bingay all tucking into a hamburger, sort of giving a cheeky wink at the end of the show. There's actually, there's a stat, and maybe Neil knows this, because it's kind of a a little bit of a trivia thing people like to farm out. I've certainly done it a few times on a radio show, but just, just in case Neil doesn't know, tell Neil, who is the biggest manufacturer or consumer of tires? I'm not sure which way to phrase it correctly, but which company needs the most tires in the world. Neil, have you any idea? I think I've seen it on QI, but I'm not sure. 
Go on, Kev. So, with with 300 million tires produced every single year, it is Lego. <laughs> ah, that's that not what I had in my head. That's fantastic. Isn't it? And when you think about it, so, so there are only a billion road cars in the world, roughly a billion. And so Lego have been doing 300 million tires since 2006. A car needs four tires, obviously. Yeah. And so Lego has now produced more tires than I used on every single road car in the world. <laughs> so those Danish fucks are destroying the world. <laughs> well, they're very small tires, Neil. I mean, come That's on. That's true. And in fairness, I am very fond of the Danes. I've done many yeah. gigs there and uh, got heckled. I got brilliant. Did I ever tell you about my heckle I got in the comedy zoo? Do you, know you expect certain comedy heckles like when you're Irish abroad? Like, hey, Guinness. Like, hey, potatoes, Mr. Irish man. It's quiet at a gig in Copenhagen. And the guy just went, yeah, John. Logan. <laughs> I, I had the weirdest experience going to Denmark. So I was in Norway and I thought the fastest way to get to Oslo over to Copenhagen rather than bother flying, I will get this this overnight ferry. Mm. And I didn't realize that this is what Norwegians do for basically a holiday. They take a booze cruise to Copenhagen, <laughs> they walk around for two hours, they get back on the ship and they just ride back to, to Oslo. The whole time. And, and they are drunk as skunks the entire time. Everybody's drunk. It's just just a massive booze up. And I was with these uh, incredibly drunk Norwegians, and they insisted that they loved rubbish British TV. Mm. So there, there is no way. And they said, watch this. And someone stood up and went, do, 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 do. And everyone went, hard bitch. And then, <laughs> the entire ship died singing the theme to hard bitch. Heartbeat, why do you skip when my baby Oh, Neil knows it all. Do, 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 A thousand drunk Norwegians were serenading me with this on a cruise. That's amazing. Uh, Kit, look, we should get back to your book because, uh, yes. I mean, you know, we, that, is, that is why you're here. But your book does, does kind of posit this theory that F1, Formula One, can help us re-greening the planet. So, like, how and, and what is F1 doing that is is making this happen well f1 as far as i'm concerned is sort of the fastest r&d lab on earth because they are constantly looking for anything that can give them an incremental gain you know they're looking for a tenth of a second hundredth of a second and so they will try all kinds of different things and from those some of them are used in racing some of them aren't but we get spin-off technologies so we have for example uh cars now being made out of of, of linen flax fibers uh, we're already seeing that in racing uh, we've got advances in electric um, racing that have essentially moved down to to cars. Yes. So if you think about how range is extended on electric cars, that isn't because of people sort of going slow and then getting faster. It's because of people going fast and needing that extra boost, that extra power. Automated cars, AI cars, again, it's it's the people that are racing them at 195 miles an hour that are getting the safety rather than the people going at 20, 30 miles an hour and tootling around cities. Um, we've seen innovations in all kinds of strange different ways. One of the patents that Formula One holds is when Ayrton Senna died in 1994, very famous, horrific crash um, of, of their superstar of the sport. He was killed. They realized that they didn't have any onboard camera footage because they couldn't transmit it. So they had to decide which camera to go with because it would be me via helicopter. And so they now own a patent for communicating essentially across incredibly complicated metal environments now that's really useful if you've got ai cars for example that need to talk to each other and so we start seeing that and all of these technologies are green technologies that make our lives a little bit better 
But if you want the, the real proof in the pudding, go into a supermarket. And if you go into a supermarket freezer section, I'm sure everyone's seen them, those, those freezer units where you actually reach in and you take the item out. Yeah. Yep. So they have a cold curtain. The cold air comes down from the top and it cascades down across the shelves, down into the bottom, gets recollected. Now, usually that's kind of chaotic because it's hitting the shelves, it's bouncing out. And if you remember uh, in the old days, you used to get incredibly cold feet in front of those things because all right. the cold yeah. air would, yeah. would land yeah. out. That's wasting energy because you're powering the freezer units, so you're using more CO2. It's a real problem. What they did was they spoke to several Formula One companies. Williams do this, for example, and they created a series of aerodynamic blades designed from a Formula One cars that you slot onto each of the shelves. And that controls the cold air and curls it back into the freezer. So the customers don't get cold feet. You don't have the, uh, the cold air spilling out. And of course, you're using less energy and, uh, and lowering your CO2 emissions at the same time. How about that, Neil? That's unbelievable. I mean, if I was going to Formula One, I wouldn't describe what you're trying to create as spin-off technologies, because that probably would put them off. But <laughs> I, <laughs> I never thought of that. <laughs> That's unbelievable. Like When I go into a Lidl or an Aldi or a Tesco or whatever, there is Williams-designed stuff. I'm being helped by it. I, I'm assuming that they look at fuel. They look at, well, they, do they look at tires, given that we've been talking about tires for the last 20 minutes? Oddly enough, so uh, the rubber is now being, we're trying to democratize rubber, essentially, and work out where we can get it from. So the big problem we've got is that all rubber at the moment is growing from Southeast Asia. Mm. And to ship it around the world is a big problem for CO2 as well. So already Formula One is starting to end racing have been working with teams like Continental to produce rubber from tires from different sources. And Continental are looking at dandelions. So they have been growing rubber from the Russian dandelion, uh, which has got long roots. And if you've ever um, cut open a dandelion and squeezed it, you know, the, you get that the little stuff white. That comes out. Yeah, the white yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's rubber latex. That's latex. So all you need is just a shit ton of dandelions and you can make tires from them. And Continental are doing that. Dave, we are registering pissinthebed.com and I don't know why they were called piss in the beds. But but anyway, listen, if good years can be robbed and 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 the latex from dandelions is can actually make rubber in a meaningful way. It's, we're not talking like, you know, it's a concept car from 30 years ago. It's actually making tires at the moment. So Continental are making tires out of out of dandelion rubber at the moment. If you've ever seen Extreme E, uh, which is one of the new off-road formulas, all of their tires are made from dandelions. I have seen it and have taken it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and in the United States, um, because they're looking at deserts rather than sort of where dandelions grow, they're trying to use more of uh, of Arizona, New Mexico, that kind of bit of Southwest that basically has nothing there. And they've been growing a shrub that I love the name of it. It's called Wahuli. And Wahuli <laughs> I, is. I think I was in school with him. <laughs> Wahoo is a rubber uh, shrub uh, that you can basically get down. You can get uh, sorry, not dandelions. You can get uh, rubber from as well, uh, and they're starting to sort of try and mass produce this. I should point out that both rubber from dandelions and rubber from wahooli have awful, awful histories as well. Oh, um, right. So we've we've spoken about um, Brazil, but rubber from dandelions was investigated by the Nazis at Auschwitz. Uh, oh there was God. a subcamp dedicated to rubber research. Uh, they imprisoned 300 women to do that and uh, and sent many of them on a death march uh, in January 1945. And Wahuli uh, in America was actually 
ordered to be grown by the Japanese Americans who were interned during the Second World War because they were worried that they were going to be Japanese spies. So the Americans imprisoned their own people, American citizens, and they were growing Wahuli. And I'm assuming that, so you're talking about Brazil, you're talking about Auschwitz, you're talking about America, and we've talked about the Congo before. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm assuming that rubber in the Congo, the people were equally badly treated. I mean, the Congo Free State is, as far as I'm concerned, the worst empire moment in history. Um, and it's all because of this massive dipshit called Leopold II, King of the Belgians. Yeah, his his own personal colony, of course. Yeah, exactly. So what he did was there was um there was a big meeting. Otto von Bismarck called all of the heads of state of, of Europe together, the crown heads, and they divided up Africa. And they said, you know, the British get this bit, the Germans get this bit, you know. And the Belgians wanted their own territory, particularly Leopold. And so Leopold said, well, there's no one who's controlling this large bit called the Congo. So... How about this? We won't give it to Belgium. We will give it personally to me, and I will administer it as, as a philanthropic interest. I will look after the people there. And of course, the first thing he did was he turned it into a veritable slave state mm. um, just to mine rubber. So if you ever go to somewhere like Antwerp, which has this incredible railway station, it's a beautiful like three-tiered railway station. Uh, it's astonishing. Uh, it's purely on the back of what we call the red rubber trade. And rather than just having slaves collect things at night, Leopold he did things a bit differently. They were using a um, they weren't using they were using a vine rather than uh, the the Brazilian rubber tree. But he would order people to smear latex onto their skin, and then they would peel the latex off so the skin would come along with it. That's oh, how they were drying the latex. So drying it like as they're so they're putting it, yeah, they're, harvesting it, putting it on their skin. It'll dry in the sun. That's right. And then yeah. effectively you're tearing that and the top however many layers of your skin off to give it to your boss, basically. That is exactly what they were doing. And Ooh. if you couldn't meet your quota, they would expect you to have your hand lopped off as evidence of, of the person being killed. And so there were people going around basically checking to make sure that uh, there were enough hands because these people were behind quota. And of course, people didn't want to lop, you know, kill themselves and cut off their hands to prove it. So what they did was they went across to the local village and they found the first person they could and they locked someone's hand off and they just mutilated them. And then they could hand that over to the colonial authorities and say, hey, look, we killed the guy. It's fine. Here's his hand. Here's his hand. And so there were women and children without hands. Um, an estimated 10 million people were killed during Leopold's um, plundering of the Congo. Rubber, I mean, it's you just don't consider that it's going to have this dark side to it, but it really does. Everywhere it's been, there haven't been good outcomes. Anything that generates that amount of money, essentially, and that's what happens. That's I the mean, problem. That's, that has been, the, yeah, that's been the case of with everything. Yeah, it, it's all about money, and this is an incredibly profitable industry. Rubber is once you know how, and once you're in a tropics, it's really easy to grow, and that's why many no. of the poor economies do that, and then they don't have that proper regulation that we need for. Um, ensuring rainforest survival. Yeah, look at cotton, look at tobacco, look at uh, rubber, um, all Diamonds. grown, yeah. uh, uh, but all generate huge amounts of money and with that comes vast amounts of corruption and therefore horrendous bad behaviour and exploitation. One question on your book, Kit, if you don't mind. Please. During COVID, I read something about, now I could be wrong on this, you know, there was various different people, you know, turning what they did. So say you made whiskey, then you, or you made gin and they would start making hand sanitizer and stuff like that. And people had, had to go very quickly pivot. 
did that happen with Formula One and the entire industry there? Did they look at, okay, we do this and now we do this during the COVID pandemic? Absolutely. And they probably helped save thousands of lives, particularly in the UK. So what happened, if you, if you remember uh, sort of March 2020, the pandemic was coming. It hadn't quite struck the UK and the British Isles at that point. Uh, it was already sort of big in Italy and, and big in, in China. And we knew that the wave was going to hit about Easter. And the UK started up a ventilator challenge because we suddenly realized we just didn't have enough ventilators in hospital to keep people breathing. Mm. Um, they were so bad, they were nicking ventilators off the set of Holby City um, to use in the NHS. And a group of academics met in uh, in London, UCL in London. Rebecca Shipley and, and, and Tim Baker um, were meeting with some of the doctors. And they decided that actually what they did need was ventilators. Because the moment you put someone on a ventilator, they've got a tube down their throat. They're on that ventilator for a month. You've got to have a nurse managing them. They've got to manage all the body functions, all that kind of stuff. What was much better was what's called a CPAP machine, which is continuous positive airway pressure. And the best way to think of that is if you've tried to blow up a balloon, that first little puff makes it so much easier to inflate the balloon, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's what, that's what the CPAP machine does for your lungs. So it just gives you that little bit of help so that you can get you can keep breathing. And they needed to produce these, about 10,000 of these CPAP machines. They're very simple, uh, very simple devices, just valves essentially. And so they said, you know, who do we know that can do this? And they said, well, why don't we talk to Mercedes? Um, and specifically the Mercedes engine team for Formula One that produces for, for several different teams. And Mercedes immediately said, do not hesitate to call upon the full might of what we can do. They sent their best three engineers down to London with only the clothes on their backs to the point that they actually ended up getting these horrible garish pink t-shirts because it was the only shop they could find to get change of clothes. They worked nonstop. A hundred hours later, they had pr a prototype. Within two... hundred hours? hundred hours. So we're looking wow. at just over three days and they're getting like three hours sleep a night doing this. They are working nonstop. They're already testing it in hospitals uh, by the end of the week. Um, they have got permission from the MHRA, which is the, the medicine's regulatory body for the UK. Um, usually that takes about, you know, a year to two years to get through. They get it done in two weeks. And then they turn the Mercedes engine factory over to making these machines. And they tool them. They create 10,000 of them within four weeks. Mother of it was God, in the unbelievable. Like the 100 hours thing is amazing because James Franco was stuck in a rock for, I think, 170 hours. Did nothing. Cut off his own arm. That's all he did, the lazy fucker. These lads did incredible work. It's good. So you, you give a Mercedes engineer a pen knife, he'd have been out there in about two hours. No problem. Yeah. Well, you do. If you have Toto Wolf standing behind you from Drive to Survive, <laughs> cut it, cut it now. We're looking for incremental gains. Your, your arm weighs about seven pounds. Cut it off. Kit, we could talk to you all night, but we have to draw a line somewhere, and I think we'll do it there with a little bit of positivity about F1 and everything that came from uh, from what Mercedes did there. Thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate it. And remind everybody now that to get your hands on Racing Green, How Motorsport Science Can Save the World, uh, that is a book by Dr. Kit Chapman. Kit, thanks so much. That was unreal. Thank you for having me.
right, welcome back to part three of Why Would You Tell Me That? And Neil Delamere, Dr. Kit Chapman. I mean, is there anybody we've had on who's been better than him? I mean, it's hard to say. Uh, He's the sort of fella that I think I just want to keep locked away somewhere and just have him on every single week. Unbelievable. (laughs) His name is Kit which carries a lot of weight given that he's talking about cars. But my God, he engaged Turbo Boost uh, and that was absolutely quality. Who knew that rubber was so interesting? Such a ubiquitous thing that we take for granted. But There's some guy taking a ball gag out of his mouth now going, I do. Uh, I do. Uh, It's wiped clean. Uh, I don't know why why he's still talking like this. Yeah, I'm not sure. I thought it was about... Surely at this point he'd feel way better and his mouth would go back to normal. He might be a bit stretchy. <laughs> oh, please, please stop making that noise. <laughs> i got to take that noise and use it as a ringtone when you ring me. I'll be just sitting in my car. My car will go... <laughs> oh, God. Actually, apply it only to my number. So it only happens when I ring you. That'd be amazing. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, look, that was Why Would You Tell Me That with uh, me, Dave Moore, him, Neil Delamere, and Dr. Kit Chapman, whose book I highly recommend you get your hands on. It's called Racing Green, How Motorsports Science Can Save the World. Go and read it. You will not be disappointed. But that's enough from me. Neil Delamere, what have you got for us next week? Okay, uh, we're going to leave motoring behind and we're going to take Shanks's mare. We are going to talk about self-propelled movement. Okay. Specifically, I'm going to get a comedian. This is our first comedian guest on the show. Yeah. And he's going to talk to us about the St. Louis Olympic Marathon in 1904. <laughs> it is the strangest 26 and a bit miles in the history of the Olympics. And it is absolutely brilliant. Amazing. I cannot wait for that. Talk to you next week. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.